Vince Lombardi, you may remember, was the head coach of the uh, Green Bay Packers from 1959 to 1967. And before the season began one year, he gave a rousing speech to a bunch of grisly veterans of the NFL. And he's known for this speech. People still recall it today. And uh, in the speech, he addressed these veterans and said, he lifted up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. You could have imagined they're like, duh, we've been playing football all of our lives. We know that. But what we was trying to convey is we need to get back to fundamentals. We need to get back to the basics of what it means to be a football player. And so sometimes I think we as preachers forget and we assume sometimes that you all know the fundamentals. And so today I want to unpack something that maybe we've missed in our six lessons on Galatians, and that is, what is the law? What is the law of God? I want to go back. So ladies and gentlemen, this is the law, okay? What was Paul referring to throughout this book as he refers to the law? Well, of course, you, you can remember in Exodus 20, the, the big Ten Commandments, right? Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. We have them up in our church over there, and, and we recite them in some occasions during the church's year. We say things like, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. You know those ten, right? The ten big laws, ten big commandments. But did you also know that there's a second layer, and that would be what Jesus refers to as the law, which was the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus would oftentimes say the law and the prophets, which was his Bible. The law, the first five books, which give detailed instructions on how Jews are to live faithfully and obediently to the Most High God. So you had the Big Ten, you got five books of highly detailed instructions, and then you had a third layer, and that was what we call the scribal laws. Those were additions to those other laws, and they showed what you had to do on a daily basis to make yourself right with God. By the time of Jesus, there were some 613 scribal laws that everybody had to live by. Can you imagine being under such a weight? Where all the day long you're thinking, am I breaking some code here? Am I eating the wrong thing? Am I somehow defiling myself before God? thinking that you had to do all of that in order to have right standing with God. So that's where we are today. That's the law, three layers. And I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. We'll be looking at the law, verses 19 to 29. So Galatians chapter 3. Um, if you didn't bring your Bibles, I have a few uh, slides that will help you, but uh, I wish you would bring it because then you could see it in its entirety. But in verse 19 today, Paul asked the question, why then the law? Why the law? In other words, it's almost as though Paul's saying, if we're not going to live up to the standard, if nobody can, why did God give it? What purpose does it have? Why did God even bother with it? Why then the law? So under that heading, we're going to look at three things today. The goodness of the law, okay? The failure of the law, number two. And number three, the place that the law still holds for Christians yet today. So if you look at verse 19, you'll notice two things. We're talking about the goodness of the law. Paul says the law was added because of transgressions. In other words, because of the sinfulness of men and women, God gave us some laws, some rules, some parameters to guide us. 
But look at the second part of that verse. It's very uh, interesting. God, he said that the law was put into place through angels by an intermediary. Angels? Really? Now what is all that business about? Well, there's an ancient Jewish tradition that says that the intermediary, of course, was Moses. God handed the law to Moses, and he was the intermediary who took it to the people. But in Deuteronomy 3.2, we hear this, that there were angels on Mount Sinai at the giving of the law. Deuteronomy 33.2 says this, The Lord came from Sinai, and he, meaning God, came with 10,000 holy ones, with flaming fire in his right hand. Whenever you hear the word smoke or fire referring to God, we're talking about his holiness, his, his morality, his goodness, his, his virtue. He is perfect. And so the angels were there for two reasons. They were celebrating the holiness and goodness and righteousness of God, but they're also celebrating this event when mankind would get the law and they would know what it means to live as God lives, to be holy as God is holy, to give us an opportunity to respond to God's goodness. So all the angels, we call it the whole host, the company of heaven in the Eucharist, are gathered together and they're celebrating the goodness of the law and the goodness of God. So that's the goodness. And Paul says that the law was added because of our transgressions. Really, there are about four big reasons that the, the law was added. First of all, it gave the Jews a standard for knowing right from wrong. It, it gave them the, uh, the ability to know what is clean from unclean so that they could live holy lives before the holy God. Number three, they were called as Jews to be separate and distinct from the Gentile nations so that they could be God's own people, so that as they were blessed, they could be a blessing to others. And number four, the law was meant to protect the Jews to, to make them to be able to enjoy their lives in the way that God had intended them to enjoy life. So it was all good, right? Nicky Gumbel, the author of much of the Alpha Course, a priest outside of London, talks about the goodness and the intent of the law originally. And he said that one day he was going out to his son's soccer game. And it was early in the afternoon. There were no other guys out there, just a bunch of soccer moms. Okay, and the referee was late for the match, and the soccer moms assumed that he knew what he was doing, assumed he knew the rules. So they put a whistle around his neck, gave him a striped shirt, and say, you referee, until the referee gets here. And he, he, did, he, he said, they didn't know, I didn't know any of the rules. And so he, he blew the whistle, they had no boundaries, the kids weren't divided up into different jerseys, but he blew the whistle anyway, and they began. And the ball gets kicked off to the right, and the kid says, sir, sir, it's out of bounds, it's out of bounds. Nikki was like, we don't have any boundaries, just play on, play on. Then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, a kid does a slide tackle into another kid, and the kid's on the ground and said, sir, that was a foul, that was a foul. Nikki said, I don't know if it was a foul or not, play on, play on. And they continued to play on, play on, until the moms were angry, and the kids were frustrated, and everybody was hurt, and they were having a terrible time. It was chaos. And then the referee arrived. And Nikki said, I was so glad to put that whistle around his neck and put that shirt on him. And he began to put the, the cones out so that there would be boundaries, and, and he began to dress them in different uniforms so they would know the sides. And, and guess what, he said, when they blew the whistle for the second half, the kids had a fabulous time. 
said that, that, that nobody got hurt, everybody enjoyed themselves, the moms were happy. You see what had happened. Without the rules, there was chaos. No one was having fun. But once the referee came, everybody had fun. God's law was intended to be that way. It was given for our benefit. It was a gift of grace from our holy God that he would put a protective fence around his people. He doesn't want us to have harm in the world. The law was given as a blessing, and the angels were there to rejoice over the blessing that day. But there's also the failure of the law. So if you look at verse 21, you'll see that. Verse 21 says this. Paul says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Paul says, certainly not. It was given by God, not contrary. For, though, he says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. See what he's saying there? The law fails to give life. The law fails to bring eternal life to God's people. If the law could bring life, then we would not need a Savior. If the law could give us eternal life, we wouldn't need his shed blood. If the law could atone for sins, then he wouldn't have to be punished upon the cross. You see how that works? Paul said the law can't give life. It can't bring us into a right relationship with God. Now, why is that? Well, here's the deal. Corey pointed out last week in chapter 3, verse 10, of some very strong medicine that Paul gives us. And he says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. They're cursed before God. So if you're trying to do good your way to God, you can't make it. You're cursed. For all who rely on the works. For it is written, Paul says in verse 10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You hear what Paul's saying? He said, if you want to play that game, you want to try to do good your way to heaven, do you have to do some good things? No. You have to do many good things? No. You have to do all good things. Every jot and every tittle in the law. Uh, amen on that. I wish we could. <laughs> you see, most of us kid ourselves into to a false sense that we're pretty good people, right? Uh, but we're pretty good with the man upstairs, right? You know, most of us have this kind of image in our minds. What, what's the standard of God's righteousness? What will get you into heaven one day? Well, well, here's what we mostly think, that there were some bad guys like Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and Mussolini, and those guys certainly won't be in heaven, right? Uh, they're way down on the chart. But then there are some good folks like, like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, and, and most of us would consider ourselves somewhere in the middle. We're pretty well off with regard to God. But what's the standard? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The standard is Jesus. The standard is the sky. The standard is something none of us can reach. And Paul said, if you're going to play that game, you've got to keep every single bit of the law. But the truth in the Bible is this, we've all fallen short. Romans chapter 3 verse 12, all have turned aside, together we've become worthless, no one does good. Not even one of us. Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own ways. Romans 3.23. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you want to do good your way back into heaven, you've got to be perfect. None of us does it. 
Paul says in verse 22, if you'll look, look at it, that means that we're all imprisoned. Paul says, but the scripture, the law, imprisoned everything under sin. We're all trapped in a prison. We can't make it back to God by ourselves. Look at verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were all held captive under the law. Our souls were held back from God. There was no way to break the chains and break free and come back to God. It took Jesus to break the chains. The law can't bring you life. Only Jesus brings life. But here's the positive aspect of the law. It's the last thing we'll go over. The law drives you to Jesus. The weight of the law drives you to the cross. Paul said it best in Romans 7. He said this, on the one hand, I love the law. He says this, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Man, it's good. God gave it to, to bless us and to give us protective boundaries in life. I love the law, Paul says. But guess what else? He says, the very things I want to do, I don't seem to be doing. And the very things that God tells me not to do, sometimes I do them. And there's this war waging in my flesh against my mind. He goes on to say this in that same chapter 7. He said, in my members there's another law waging war with the law of my mind and making me captive once again to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm imprisoned, I'm captive to death because of the law. And there's your answer in verse 25. Thanks be to God, it's through Jesus Christ, my Lord. The law and its weight and its frustration had driven Paul to the only place of solace that man will ever find, and that's through the grace and the power of the cross of Christ. When the law had failed Paul, Jesus had saved Paul. When the law increased sin in Paul's life, grace increased all the more. Where the law brought Paul to the point of death, the promise, the free gift of God through Jesus Christ brought Paul to eternal life. Thanks be to God through the victory that's in Jesus. Why then the law? Why then the law, Paul says. In verse 24, we find out what the law was doing. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that word guardian, it also means, um, it means a disciplinarian. Pedagogos is the word. It's the same word we get pedagogy from or pedagogue. And so this disciplinarian would be a slave in the household uh, of a rich household. Um, and that slave would be in charge or in control and the disciplinarian of a child to make sure that child went to school every day. He would take him to the teacher, make sure he does, does his studies. So Paul's given this image of the law that, that the law is our guardian, it was our pedagogue. It, it took us daily to teach us our failings, to teach us our need for a Savior. It took us to school daily so we would reach out for the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. The law was teaching us to go to the cross. In Anglican churches, oftentimes we'll have the Ten Commandments like we do over in the historic church building. And we put that before you to know that it's good and God's holiness and righteousness are good and, and God continues to bring goodness and morality to his people, but it's also to drive you to your knees. You know, oftentimes in the Anglican service, we'll repeat the Ten Commandments to begin our service, or we'll do the summary of the law. 
where Jesus says that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before the law of God, my heart thinks of a hundred ways that I've not loved God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. When I stand before the law, I think of a hundred reasons I've not laid, uh, ways I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. But then remember what's the next part? But Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. The law draws you to Jesus the Savior. It's the guardian that taught us that we needed a Savior in the first place. And his promise is to bring grace and forgiveness to your life and to mine. So we reach out for grace. And that's what our service is about. But once you know grace, once you've been saved by grace, once you've come to the cross, we live lives of holiness. Not to earn our salvation, not to, to do good our, wor- our way into heaven, but in response to grace, in response to all that God has given us. We live sanctified lives as we grow into the stature and fullness of God's grace, as we begin to look more and more like Jesus. So here's the deal. In response to grace, you go out and live the moral law of God. Now, there are folks who will tell you, called antinomians still today, nomos means law in Greek, who would say that there is no more law. Paul never says that, does he? He only says the law can't save you. But the morality of God is still in place. God still hates murder. God still hates sexual sins outside of marriage. God hates covetousness and stealing. God's character is immutable. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we are God's people, we're called to live as salt and light for our culture so that they may see the glory of God and live themselves. And so while the law won't save you, the moral law of God is still in place for Christians. So we go forth in the love and mercy of Jesus today to shine his light to a sinful and darkened world. And that's our calling. Some people say, well, there are, are laws in the Old Testament that we don't abide by anymore. After all, we, we eat shellfish, and God said not to. After all, we eat meat that has uh, blood still in it, and God said not to. A- after all, we eat pork, and, and God said not to. Well, here's the deal. God did satisfy the civil laws and the ceremonial laws. The civil law was that how Israel was to l- relate to, to one another and to other nations. Well, Jesus is now our Israel. He has fulfilled that civil law. The ceremonial laws were, were what you should eat and what you should drink to keep kosher and also how you to prepare the sacrifices in order to remain clean and holy. Well, Jesus is our holiness. He cleanses us from sin. He is the perfect sacrifice. So Jesus fulfilled that as well. And I thank God for that. I mean, I love barbecue sandwiches. I love my shellfish. (laughs) I love to eat rare meat. I mean, this is good stuff. Remember, Jesus saw that vision of all those unclean animals coming down, and and God said, get up and eat these things. And Peter said, I have never touched anything unholy in all my life, Lord. I'm not about to begin today. And God says, what I make holy, you don't call unholy, Peter. Get up and eat these things. But God's moral laws, civil laws fulfilled, the, 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 uh, the ceremonial laws no more, but the moral law is still our way of expressing God's holiness to a sinful and darkened world. So I call you upon, upon you today to do a few things. Look at your sin 
be convicted by the holiness of law, know how far, far, far you've fallen short of God's righteousness, run to the cross, receive the blood, receive the mercy, receive the grace, and go forth this day to love and serve the Lord and live in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life. He's perfect.